Here we are again to be strengthened by your word, to be fed your word. Lord God, there are some things that we may hear that we may not track well with, but other things that will speak to the core of who we are. So we ask you today, Lord God, that you would just touch us through and through. As we consider how you've called us to be salt and light in this world, what does that look like for us? So we ask you today that you would speak to those areas that you want to build us up, that you want to encourage us. Lord God, are those areas that you want to get rid of things that are unlike you. Father, we want to say that we love you and we thank you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the next two messages, we will deal with a topic that is troubling to some, yet important to everybody within the body of Christ. And that topic is subjection or submission, one in the same word. We will look at subjection in terms of our relationship to leadership, or organizations, work, and even marriage. But before we begin, we must first define subjection or submission. However, because I have spent lots of time talking about submission in various ways, I'm not going to spend as much time as I normally would walking down this path. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So subjection or submission in a biblical sense means to be under the control of another or to be subordinate. And see, this is where it causes problem for us. Because when we think of ourselves being under the control or of another or being subordinate to another, it just, that's not a place that we want to be. It's hard for us to get our mind around that on purpose. But this idea of submission or subjection also has in mind a legal sense of arranging one document under another. You have uh, your main document, and then you may have your supporting material. Uh, so the main document is here, and the supporting material, material or the addendum, it is attached to the main one. But nevertheless, without uh, all by itself, it doesn't mean much, so to speak. But as soon as it is attached to the main legal document, it makes that main document stronger. But another way of looking at subjection and submission is causing to be in compliance with regard to order, or the requirements of order. In other words, uh, there is a set protocol for operation in order military, you are submitted to those who have higher rank than you. They tell you to jump. Uh, if you ask anything, you may ask them, how, how high do, would you like for me to jump? But the reason that submission or subjection is so important is because it creates order. And without Subjection and without submission, there is chaos. We see this. The 
policies, the laws, and the rules in our society that are meant to create order. Imagine uh, what traffic would be like if they eliminated all the traffic lights and all the stop signs. It would be something like experience what I experienced one time when I was down in, in, in Mexico years ago. And I was in a car with an individual in Mexico, and the expressway was only one lane. One lane, and guess what? There were no markings on the expressway. The expressway was probably about as wide as what we see here. There's no markings. So what would happen oftentimes in the dead of night, people would drive, as you can imagine, down, down the center of the expressway. But also what would happen is you may find yourself in a game of chicken. One car pitting itself against the other car trying to see who's going to move first. And many people have died on the highways of Mexico because of that mentality. Because it was more or less of a Wild West uh, type of deal. You do what you want to do, and I do what I want to do. You see, without subjection, without submission, there is chaos. There is chaos on the street. There's chaos in a marriage. There's chaos in government. There's chaos at school. There must be submission. But regardless of your definition of subjection or submission, the other thing that we must understand that it is never forced. You can never tell anyone to submit. Because the moment that happens, you are not willfully subjecting yourself to the other. So don't forget, don't forget this. Else, these messages that you're about to hear would cause you to doubt God's love cause you to doubt God's justice in our Christian journey. But there is one area in which subjection is not voluntary, however. There is a time in which there will be subjection, and it will not be because you want to or not. And that is when the Lord comes into play. When God finally takes reign over the earth, when God finally appears, when Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, then he will put all things under his feet, whether you like it or not. <laughs> In these cases, there will be people who say, well, Jesus, I don't care who you are, that I am not going to submit myself to you. And In these cases, they are unwilling to bring themselves into subjection due to their ignorance. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. The passage says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit or did not subject themselves to uh, God's righteousness. So when looking at the passages, know uh, that there uh, is a willingness or should be a willingness of the individual uh, to subject themselves to another in acknowledgement of God's word. So when you submit yourselves in the area that we're going to talk about today, you're doing it in regards to God's word. Can you say amen? But this does not mean that you are less important, however. This doesn't mean that you are nobody because you have submitted yourself to an individual. In a marriage, it doesn't mean you are less important nor uh, that you have no rights, but instead what it means is that you love the Lord and you are trying to create an environment where God can speak and his spirit can be alive. So this idea of subjection 
is doing what needs to get done for the sake of the whole and in response of those who you lead. Here's the first area. Respect societal leaders. Respect societal leaders. Now, 1 Peter again, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Be subject or submit uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 13 says to be subject or submit for the Lord's sake uh, to every human institution. Now, hearing this may elicit various emotions depending upon who you are and where you live. If you live in Montana, this may cause you angst because there uh, you may have thought the government in terms of land ownership and what the government wants to do with land. And just a few years ago, there's an individual, there was a rancher who was killed by government forces all due to their resistance of the government uh, coming in to take, a, uh, to take land uh, that they thought belonged to the community. For them, uh, this idea of submitting to human institutions, uh, it creates angst, it creates anxiety in their minds. This may cause anxiety if you are African American. Being black in America, having to come face to face with the police, not knowing how it may end due to the prevailing culture uh, that uh, deems uh, our peace officers as unusually harmful. In fact, I'm not sure if you read this, but this past week, a news article stated that some African Americans, that they experienced mental health issues due to the stress placed on them by an unjust environment. No, it's not just the police. No, it is all the systems that have been put into place. And when you find yourself fighting, fighting, fighting against all these institutions that are supposed to help you, then ultimately it creates uh, such, uh, such a problem inside of you causes your mental health to diminish. Some blacks look at these verses. They also become suspicious and question whether or not that the Bible was really written by the white man in order to keep black folks in submission. And this is a fact. This is what some have told me. That Bible that you call the Word of God is nothing but the creation of the white man to keep us down. Therefore, some dismiss the entire Word of God. They want nothing to do with the Word of God. They want nothing to do with the church due to the intentional abuse by some, and there have been some who have abused God's word for their own benefit. Amen? But some, uh, they do it unintentionally because uh, they have a lack of understanding of uh, the whole uh, corpus of the word of God. So, what does it mean to be subject to every human institution? first glance, we think to ourselves that it must be talking about institutions like schools and, and city hall and, and, and corporations. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Well, we must be mindful of the rules uh, that are put into place to help us coexist with others. Believe it or not, scripture there, it really doesn't have that in mind. 
Specifically, this passage refers to the individuals who have been empowered by those institutions. So when we think of human institutions, we're not talking about the building of the schools. We're not talking about the building of the White House or the building of the police department. We are talking about individuals who have titles there, who have been charged with leadership to create order within our society. Why? The bottom line, the institution itself doesn't care if you respect them or not. You leave this building, and you can say all things about this building that you want, uh, but this building doesn't care. What has been written about City Hall does not care. Who cares are those who have been in charge and imparted the authority to keep things together. Often, as we have heard, there has been a rough up about not respecting a country or not respecting the flag or the national anthem. But when it really comes down to it, it's not about the flag. I mean, you know this. It's not about the nation. It's not about the national anthem. We know that the reason that some players knelt was because of their desire to draw attention to the injustice that had been occurring in the African-American community. Check this out. Because the detractors did not like what was going on, they changed the meaning of it. They changed the meaning and said the reason that they were kneeling because they were opposing who? See? They weren't opposing, they said, uh, uh, the, the nation itself. They weren't opposing the flag. They weren't opposing the national anthem. They said they were opposing the military. They said they were opposing our good men and women of the military who gave their lives and give their lives consistently for us. And the moment that they changed the meaning to now reflect to people, now the backlash came to say that it's about, it is specifically about these individuals when all along it was not. So now it became about people who had nothing to do with it and not about the laws or the way other folks had been uh, unjustly dealing with people of the community. So after mentioning human institutions, our passage goes on to refer, and here it is, this is how we know what the, what the focus is in the passage, it goes on to focus uh, and refer to the emperor and the governor. Right? So, so look at that again. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be, see, whether it be to whom? Whether it be to the person as supreme or to the governor, the person, right? So the human institution, uh, it is the person who has, is responsible for keeping everything in order. So people are the ones we are to be in subjection to. I'll say that once again, young men, young women, old men, old women, people are the ones we are should, that we should be in subjection to. In every society, there are people that are doing good and other folks that are just jacked up and doing bad stuff all over the place. Therefore, a leader's responsibility is to deal with those creating chaos and applaud those who are doing good. Now, uh, I need to say this as well. All those of you who don't like the police, you think all police are bad. Yeah, right. When those folks in your neighborhood start coming to mess with you, who you going to call then? 
Who you going to call then? I'll call the police. Now, I may have one eye on the bad folks and one eye on the police, but I'm still going to call the police, right? Because I'm going to believe that there's still more good police than there are bad. Amen? But our problem is that uh, because of our news cycle, we get so focused only on certain individuals, and this is the only story that we hear. All of a sudden, we think everybody is bad. Right? The same thing can be said about lawyers. You start hearing certain news about attorneys, and you think all of them are just snake oil salesmen. The same thing about certain teachers, or for that matter, the same thing about all preachers. All of them are bad. But that's not the case. So nevertheless, there are many moments when we do celebrate those who do good for themselves and others and chide those whose only intent is looking out for themselves and especially when it harms others. So remember, this passage speaks to believers uh, that uh, that first Peter is not talking to the unbeliever, uh, that Peter is talking to the believer. But some of you may think or question me by saying, especially in terms of submission, what about leaders who are crooked? What about those that you know that are corrupt? Should we still do what they tell us to do? What about that manager who wants me to do grunt work just because they really don't like me and they really want to get rid of me? These are legitimate concerns, and we will address them in one moment uh, because uh, they not only concern our civil leaders, but also our jobs and even within marriage. What if that leader in your life is doing you wrong? Man, I've been there. I've been there. I have been there and had to look at this person, you know, every single day and under contract. Can't go nowhere else I'd be sued. So remember again why Peter addressed these believers. It is written to believers who have been treated badly by people already. Remember, going all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and just in case you forgot, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, to those believers who had already been kicked out of town because they have faith in Jesus Christ, and now they find themselves in another location with a brand new set of problems. Uh, what am I to do? So imagine being kicked out of town because of your faith and now living in an area with more bad people. But these are the bad people you don't know. You may have heard it said before that I'd rather deal with the devil I know than the devil I don't know. Well, first, I want to say I'd rather deal with no devil. Amen? However, in all of our situations, there's also uh, people who come up who act just like the devil, don't they? But you'd rather deal with the bad manager that you know how and when they will be bad versus going in a brand new environment that you have heard that they're bad and you don't know anything about them. You see, this means preferring to deal with a mess up person they are familiar with because at least they know how messed up that person is and how they operate. So as believers who follow Jesus Christ, we are to have uh, utmost character integrity. Not that you won't make mistakes, because you will. The longer I live through God's grace and his mercy, the more I understand the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The more I understand how his grace is sufficient for you and for me, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you've thought about, understand that God's grace 
is sufficient for you. But if you're down in the dumps because of something, then you pull yourself up, confess your sin before God, and then move on in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of who we are, we are constantly on display for Jesus. People constantly look at you wondering how well this Jesus thing is really working for you. Why? Because, you see, the moment that you slip up, and then uh, they say, you see, you see, didn't I tell you? That's the reason why I don't want to be a Christian. Will someone not be a Christian because of the way that you act? Our obedience to these leaders is the will of the Lord. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Well, the will of the Lord is for all people to have him guide them totally. While this is not presently the case, it will be when Jesus returns and brings his, and, and ushers in his kingdom. Until then, the Lord has allowed the presence of human institutions, human leaders. Again, there will be people who will malign you as a believer. They will malign you as an unbeliever. But the smallest infraction, though, for the believer, when they look at you, they are ready to cry foul, uh, but you subject yourselves to the human institution, you subject yourselves to those who are in government, who are leading you, who are trying to keep order in your life, in your community, and in this nation. So your responsibility is to be in subjection to civil leadership. So all those who are doubting you and doubting your faith may be silenced in their ignorance because they don't know what they're talking about. However, be mindful of your freedom and relationships. Be mindful of your freedom and your relationships. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I know that in our nation, uh, we have some leaders who wish they were emperors. They're trying to be emperors. Verse 16. Verse 16 speaks about the freedom we have in Christ and how it should play out in our everyday interaction. And he says here that we need to live as free people. What does that mean? How do we live as free people? We, we live as free people because Christ has set us free. That we were once sinners, but now we are not in the eyes of God because when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he sees the blood of Jesus Christ, when he looks at us, then he accepts us for who we are in Christ. You are free because Christ has made you free. He whom the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. He whom the Son has set free. Let's come on, try it one more time. He whom the Son has set free is? I'm free. Are you free in Christ? This means that you are not subject to the whims of a world that opposes him. Therefore, human rules don't carry the same authority as Jesus. This doesn't mean that because you're free in the, in the world, uh, because you, you, you are in Christ, that you don't have to do anything that anyone else says. You see, that's what some people say. They would use the grace of God as an excuse to do whatever they want to do. Therefore, he says, don't use your freedom to cover up evil. Don't do wrong and say that, well, you know what? You can't judge me. That only God is my judge. Don't do wrong and then pin it on God. Hmm. That's missing the point in a huge way. This life is not a free fall, and that's what Scripture has been trying to tell us from the very beginning, that even though we are free uh, from the institution of sin, we have become slaves or servants to uh, Jesus Christ. 
calls us doulos, or the plural would be douloi. Right? We are servants, we are slaves of Jesus Christ. So even though we're not uh, uh, free in this world uh, to live as everyone else, uh, we are free in Christ as citizens of heaven. Verse 17 says, honor people and not just the ones you know. Now I know some of you are really picky on who you decide you're going to honor. Right? How about honoring people? Because they have been created in the image of God, and you're supposed to respect them. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that means this, young men, that when the police pull you over, say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Even as I utter those words, I remember the time, a couple of times that I was pulled over by the police, and I just... When I was younger, and I just, I was just all agitated in my car. I was just, I was just so, I was just so upset. And one of the reasons I was so upset because after you've been pulled over by the police six, seven, and eight times for no reason at all, eventually you start to get agitated and irritated. But the problem with that is that you still must show respect. Because they're not going to know. They may not know your history. They may not know what has been going on. They're just going to see this irritated person moving around in the car. And they're going to wonder, what's wrong with you? Right? They're walking up to the car with their hand on their gun. What's wrong with you? And you're like, oh. Well, you know how you are, young people, young men, right? Oh. Some of you, you young ladies, too. You know what? Some of you young ladies, you're starting to act like some young men. And you need to stop it and act like a lady. That's the way how God has made. Don't act like a guy. And guys, don't hook up with a lady who acts like a guy because you're going to end up in a relationship with two guys. So, calm yourself down. When you stop, respect those. Just respect. You don't have to grovel, but respect them. Because most of them, they're doing the job, and they're fearing for, why do you think their hands are on their guns in the first place? Because they are fearing for their lives. They are husbands and wives and children just like you are. And how many times uh, have they walked to uh, a car and someone has a gun in the car and wants to shoot at them? So calm yourself down and submit to authority. Uh, he goes on to say, love everyone who is a part of the body of Christ. In our immaturity, we focus on loving people we know, and the people we know are those who are part of our cliques to begin with. Our challenge is, how do we, uh, how do we love, right? How do I love the individual that I don't know in the body of Christ? Specifically, he says here in verse 17, he says, love the brotherhood. Jesus says that they will, in essence, know that we come from Christ for the love that we have for one another. So if you are automatically in your mind, if you are prejudging an individual and you refuse to love, then you are living and walking in opposition to clearly what Jesus has said, to clearly what Peter has said here in 1 Peter. We are supposed to love the brotherhood, love the sisterhood, love those who are part of the body of Christ. Just love them. Love them. If you are part of the body of Christ and you hate people who are part of the body of Christ, you are hating your own body. I know some of you may dislike parts of your body because you're, you're too tall, you're too skinny, you're too fat, too slow. Maybe your feet are too big. Maybe your hands are too small. Maybe your ears are too big. Maybe your nose is this, that, whatever it may be. No, number one, know that God loves you, amen? But you should never hate your body, right? Never hate your body to the point that you want to destroy your body. Love who you are. Love the way you look. So in other words, uh, the symbolism is this. Love those who are part of the body of Christ. Look around this room right now. Look around. Come on, right now, look around. 
You're supposed to love those people, even those folks that in your mind you don't want to love, that God calls you, God commands you to love. That is an imperative. He says what? To love the brotherhood. He didn't say, uh, if you feel like loving the brotherhood, do so. This is an imperative. This is a command to love those who are part of the body of Christ. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So if you're still struggling to love people in the body of Christ, then your problem is not with them. The problem is with you. Because the command is to you, not to them. Not for you to uh, take your, your, your word of God and tell them, look, this is what you're supposed to do. It's to you saying that you must love them. Now, uh, you're not going to get along with everybody in the body of Christ either. Amen? Because you know we all struggle. So what happens? But nevertheless, you're supposed to love them. You know, folks, sometimes within your own family, your, your own biological family, you love them. But, you know, uh, there may be times that uh, you just don't want to be around them. But you love them still. Remember, it's your responsibility to love, not theirs. The passage goes on to say, fear God by showing reverence for him. This idea of phobos, phobeo, right? The idea of fear it doesn't mean to necessarily to be afraid of God uh, that you don't want to uh, talk to him because you think he's Freddy Krueger. Uh, no, uh, not that kind of fear. What this me means is that uh, you need to reverence God as the creator of the universe. We reverence God because of who he is. Again, this may be problematic, especially for some of these believers that uh, Peter is writing to because they found themselves feeling that the Lord had abandoned them. Here they were uh, living their lives out in a particular place, and these folks came to persecute them so much that they ran them out of town. And you thought that you were living for God. You thought that you loved the Lord. You thought that he had saved your life. You thought that God would be your shield. You thought that God would be your protector. You thought that God would be the wind to take you in when you're going through, but they ran you out of town. How can you show reverence for God? The foundation of your household has been ripped apart. But then he says, honor your civil leaders. It doesn't say that we have to agree with, nor like everything they do or say, but it says we must honor them or to, in a certain way, show a degree of respect for the office they hold because they are, again, people leading people. Next, respect leaders in working relationships. Respect leaders in working relationships. Verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, see that word? You endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Because the idea here is that uh, we're not talking about a slave and the master relationship. Well, he is talking about that. And that has been the case. But think of this in terms of Employer-employee relationship. We are to work with our boss, our manager, our director. We are offering our respect. Again, the problem is, is that we think we can do their job better than them, 
And when we think we can do their job better than them, then we lose respect for them. Then we try to tell them what to do. Then they call us to the mat, and then they want to fire us, and we're wondering why they're treating us unjust. So he says, don't complain about them in your mind, and, uh, and then uh, complain and, 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 and murmur uh, about them to everybody else for the rest of the day. It's fascinating that the same basic word used Fear and reverence God is used to respect your boss or your master. Same word, basic word. But when we think of the slave-master relationship, uh, there's a different mentality that comes into view. We think about uh, colonial uh, slave trade that happened here in America and in South America and in Europe and other places throughout the world and how uh, the brutality and wickedness and unjust nature of slavery was all over the place. That's what comes to mind. And we know that's wrong. And, and even in that case, uh, some of those people, they use scripture in order to uh, subject uh, uh, black folks to uh, a wicked lifestyle and to brutality. But again, remember that in the New Testament, that one of the things that uh, the servant-master relationship was due to debt, that when you owe people X amount of dollars and you couldn't pay, and basically you didn't have anything, that you became their slave. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine on J.C. Penney's $1,000 and you can't pay it. And they say, well, you're going to have to be my slave. Imagine on the electric company, $10,000, and become, some of you say, I already feel like a slave to them, to be quite honest, that you become their slave. While the respect we have for teachers and bosses is connected to the time we spend with them, the respect and reverence we have for God is timeless. Most of you know uh, there are good and bad people in the world, and even good people have bad days, don't they? Oh, Betty, I shouldn't say, should I say, don't you? Same is true of the people you report to every day. Some are good and some are bad, and even the good ones sometimes have bad days. They're irritated. Sometimes they snap at you. But Scripture calls us to show respect to the good and gentle as well as the unjust. Look at this. You see that in the passage. You see that in the passage. In verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Listen to this. The word unjust in the original language, scolias. Scolias. You heard Having that issue with the spine, it basically means crooked. So scripture tells us to be in subjection and submission and to uh, not only to those who are good and gentle, but all those who have crooked spines. This is the part I said last time. That it, this just challenges me to the core. I don't know about you. It, it just challenges me, you know, because I don't, I don't want, I don't want me, I don't want to do. When I know someone is just corrupt and just bad and crooked to the to the core, I, you know, me. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about you. I'm saying me. I just don't want to submit because in my mind, I think every word that comes out of their mouth is just going to be wrong. So because of that, I don't want to do anything they tell me to do. Nothing. That's me. challenge due to the nature of corruption in the workplace, school, all over the place. In fact, I have come to the conclusion to expect a certain level of wickedness in every institution because every institution is comprised of sinful people. You don't want any crookedness, any injustice where you work, where you go to school, then get rid of all the people. And guess what? including yourself. 
But what makes every institution better? It is believers like you, believers who are committed to the cause of Christ, believers who are salt and light in the world. That's you. You make every institution better, which means that we need to show restraint when at a time we wouldn't do it before we came to Christ. So if the Holy Spirit has entered your life, then there is a, uh, a difference in the workplace. There's a difference in the way that you live. There's a difference in your school. There's a difference in the classroom. There's a difference on the project. People are glad to have you around because you bring something else to the table that no one else has the ability to bring. What really gets to us about this is trying to balance truth and good workplace recklessness, deception, and poor outcomes. How do you as a person living in this century maintain your Christian composure while being subjected to unfairness and requests to do evil? I remember uh, one time having to file a grievance against a supervisor of mine. And the person that I found, I found out later, the person that I had to file the grievance to was in cahoots with the person I had a grievance about. Because I could never figure out when I went to the person to file the grievance why they gave me such a hard time. It was like I was fighting them. I was constantly defending myself. And I couldn't understand. Next thing you know, I was out the door. But later I found out because that person was in cahoots with the person I had a grievance. What do you do, right? How do you live like that? Object, but do so respectfully. Object, but do so respectfully. You don't need to yell and scream, pull a cloth off the, the wall, turn the desk over, knock over all the chairs. Right? Pick up a brick and throw it through the window, right? Uh, you, you see, that's wrong. I was once asked to perform music at a homosexual wedding. And I refused. I said, no. One, I, don't, I don't need money that bad. Because I understood what a godly marriage was. But if you don't know what God's word is, then you are a prime candidate to be deceived and to operate in ways that oppose the known will of God. I definitely appreciate it that that person telling me what was coming up, because you know there have been many times that I didn't even know what I was going to perform for. But I've learned since then to begin asking, well, what is this for? But even though if I was not warned ahead and I would have walked and found out that this was going on, some of you know me well enough. Because I've done it before. I've walked off stage before because of some of the music that they were playing. I had a brand new band. I didn't know what they were doing. And I heard some stuff. I walked off the stage. Because I didn't want to be associated with it. Finally, respect the example Christ has given us. Verse 19. says here, no, that's not right, uh, verse, um, yeah, yeah, I want to start at verse, uh, let's start at verse 20 first, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, verse 21, here it is. Uh, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you uh, might follow in his steps. Right? Believers, you will likely suffer at one point in your life. That's, again, it's, that's a hard truth. Right? I know that maybe some of you came here to, I just want to be encouraged in the Lord. I don't want to hear any negative news. I, I listen to all types of preachers. 
And one thing I know, there's certain preachers, they, they never preach this passage. Never. Never. Even though it's part of God's word, they never preach this because they want to think you're just going to be encouraged for all your life. Right? But there are times that you will have to suffer, maybe because of your health. It may have nothing to do with your faith. Maybe your health. You don't have to be a martyr. But know that in life, things will not always go well. But we can still celebrate and be glad that God saved us in Jesus Christ. Amen? But even when you are unjustly treated, always respond with grace. Now, Let's start at verse uh, 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ is our example as to how to live in these trying relationships. How? Because when they treated him unfairly, he didn't go back against them and start talking about them like a dog. Right? When they insulted him, this is what it means by revile. When they insulted him, he did not turn around and insult them back. I know some of y'all got some sharp tongues. Just one little word, and all of a sudden, but Jesus was not like that. Now, Jesus could have done something, Jesus could have sent them to hell if he wanted to. But he didn't insult them back. He didn't threaten him. Because thou hast called me a devil, thou hast been banished to hell. Right? Jesus was able to go through all of this because he could see the bigger picture. Some of you say, well, I ain't Jesus. Guess what? I know you not, and so does everybody else. Jesus, however, calls us to be like him. And, we're, and when we are not, he is encouraging us to grow up and get mature in our faith. So here it is one more time. Respect or be subject to societal leaders. Respect or be in subjection to leaders in your working relationships. And then respect the example Christ has given us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your loving kindness. We thank you for your grace.